Welcome back, everyone, to this week's Finance Focus Industry Insight podcast. I'm joined by Kirill today. Kirill, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, no, as, as am I. Um, this one has been in the work for a while. Um, you are obviously in private equity, and I hadn't had many people on private equity, but recently I just had another, and it seems like kind of London buses, right? They don't come for a while, and then they come thick and fast. Well, look, uh, I usually like to begin with my guests introducing themselves, what they do, their background. Uh, if you want to give us your life story as well, feel free. Uh, so, yeah, you take it away. Sure. And um, by the way, if something is particularly interesting, just let me know and I'll be happy to, happy to expand on that. But my two cents are I grew up in Bulgaria, that's very Eastern Europe. Um, Growing up, I was completely fascinated with the global financial crisis. It was the piece of news that was really all over the place. And I really wanted to understand what happened, what sort of measures were taken so that something like this never happens again. And really, how can we make sure this is indeed the case? And this being my interest in high school, really, when it came the time for me to go to university, it was very, very clear that I want to pursue something within the macroeconomics, within the central banking, politics space. So I ended up studying PPE. And in conjunction to that, I also, I also did the more traditional spring weeks. I also did an internship in central banking back in Bulgaria, post my first year at university. And I think it was a bit of a time of a Self, self-evaluation of whether this is indeed what I expected and whether this would have, whether central banking would have the impact that I was hoping would have on my career and this is what I hoped it would be. And what I realized is that the more I got into it, my interest lies less within the macro and more within the micro. So I wanted to work with specific companies. I wanted to understand what are the issues and Frank, I just felt this uh, working with these, with specific companies, I'll be able to have more tangible impact and be more helpful. And this naturally led to me thinking about investment banking and more, more the tradition, more the traditional and in more in more specific terms, more traditional M and A versus sales and trading. Um, I, I was just with the idea of trying to explore. Is this something actually I can do? Do I enjoy it? Is this actually a good fit for me? And I got very, truth is, as, as most with my career, it was just, most of my career so far, it was just a very serendipitous event that I managed to find very nice people in my first job post uni when I started at the European bank. I managed to find great mentors. It was it was a very it was closely related to my central banking experience in my university where i focused a lot of financial systems so i started studying up the financial institutions group so basically you work with banks asset managers uh, you work with insurance companies so i would like to think that it was it was all like relatively connected the part between the part in between but when you start your career, you, you just have to deal dive and hope for the best. So um, I got very lucky with I got very lucky with my mentors, and it was a it was a very it was hard at first when it comes to teaching the tech, learning the technicals, 
learning the professional environment. There is no denying that. And it was undeniably a very steep learning curve for me. But I'd like to think that I settled in nicely. I even managed to I managed to meet another grade of people, another great group of people who convinced me to move to an American bank where I was very, very lucky again when it comes to my exposure. I worked with some of the largest sponsors that you have in that you have in the world. I've worked on amazing deals within renewables, within tech, um, within telecoms, within media and this actually made me think about whether, do, whether I see myself developing a long-term career in investment banking, because I was working with sponsors and I could see that their job is quite, quite interesting. And I, was, and I was having second thoughts if this would maybe be an avenue I'd like to explore. And also there's no denying that it's, very, it's a very popular path when you first go, when you go from uni to investment banking and then to private equity. But, I like to think that I've given it some more thought than that. Um, and, um, and yeah, then I started thinking, then I started evaluating my options. And I, again, I got very lucky with a tremendous group of people at uh, the place I currently work at. And I decided that I want to give it a shot. And, uh, and yeah, so I made the transition. I've made it, I'm very fresh. I made a transition this year. So I'm, very, I'm still very green, still very much learning. And to be fair, I don't think you ever stop learning um, one way or another. So, so yeah, this is, so this is a bit of ups and downs and like different curves when taking the turns of my career, but, um, but yeah, that actually got me here. And um, Yeah, no, um, a very interesting journey in the, in the UK in particular, we have this cliche about what you shouldn't say in an interview when they ask you, why do you want to do finance is, oh, I've been fascinated by it since I was a young person. But Kirill, it actually seems like you are the exception to the rule in that you were fascinated um, by the financial crisis. What about it in particular um, fascinated you? You know, usually as a, a young person, you tend to be fascinated by other things, sports, girls, cars. I don't know. I don't know what it is for other people, but you pick the financial crisis as, uh, as you know, something that attracted you. Why don't you talk a bit about that early inspiration? I, I'll probably have to make a bit of a clarification. I wasn't, I wasn't that young. I must have been, uh, I was 13 when the global financial crisis happened. So I wouldn't classify myself as a, as a young kid at that point, I was maybe like what was to be like an adolescent, mm -hmm. but it, it was just thinking about it from from I was fascinating how one event that I don't understand that's over the news would have such a profound impact over the day to day life of so many people. Like you have you have especially in the US, you have an entire class of society. Who's in, who, who, whose world was to a large extent just wiped out. And it, it seemed to me like such a precarious scenario and I just didn't understand why. And why could, how could something like that happen? And it's difficult to miss say if it, I wouldn't say it's an interest in finance at the time, although it's the global financial crisis, it's more like an interest in politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was, or maybe somewhere in between. Um, I, I really don't know, but in reality, I go, but basically what got me thinking is how could 
so many people be impacted by one single event. I need to understand more. I kind of had a similar thought the other day, but I wasn't thinking about uh, finance in particular. I was thinking about the kind of the pandemic and often I forget how it began as kind of one person doing one action and then the entire world has changed. I think it's remarkable, isn't it? The, the influence we can have on our environment um, through even the smallest of sometimes even unintentional actions or perhaps in particular unintentional actions. And then you spoke a little bit about actually another thing that I find quite interesting, which is the perception of what you think you want to do in life versus when you actually do it and you realize um, it's not quite what you expected and you'd rather be doing something else. Do you want to talk about your kind of early experiences then with that and how you came to realize that perhaps you weren't interested in as much in the macro and policy as much as you were in driving um, meaningful change for companies? Yeah, and I think that there's several ways to look at that. In my in my example in particular, it was why I wanted to pursue a career in macroeconomics and central banking. It was really thinking about creating an environment for companies to be to be resilient, to be able to go through economic shocks and really foster the wider development. And what I realized in my in my particular experience with within very limited experience, because you have to realize as an intern you don't really get to see the full picture and it's only like a very small portion of it. But what my personal experience shows is that that much impact you could have on the short economic cycles that are several years. And it's much more, it's much more the discussion about you creating the framework. But when it comes to the, when it comes to driving the decisions, they still lie within the company. And the best way to actually have a tangible, tangible impact to a company and help them foster, help them grow and help them develop is actually going through working with them directly. And on a macro scale about thinking about the career and just try to see, trying to present it as a bit of a bigger picture. If there is one thing that I'm hoping that people get away from this conversation, if, if it's remotely useful, is I would say to try and dig in as many different things as you can while you figure things, things out. Because I had a clear idea when I was growing up that I'm interested in economics. However, I now work in something that is completely unrelated with what I was interested in when I was 16. So I'll definitely guide people, try things out, figure it out for yourself. Because my experience that I have, even with, the, even with my colleagues, we started working at the same bank, maybe even the same team, we'll have completely different experiences. So it's very much a matter of like, you have to get lucky. There is no denying that. And, I, and I'll keep saying this in our conversation because like it's such a fundamental part of, of the career journey. But you, you just have to figure it for yourself. And I know I've listened to, I've listened to some of the other podcasts and I, I, I remember you discuss with someone how your personal view is that people should not go for interviews and should not apply for jobs that they're not interested in. But I fundamentally disagree here because the way I'm thinking about it is that until you try it, it could be even for like a few weeks because let's be honest, as an, in, as an intern, as a spring intern, the, the, 
the tangible impact that you could have is very is very limited and that's a good thing if you if you're having like some massive impact as an intern there is something very profoundly wrong in the company so, <laughs> so how would you know if this is something that you actually enjoy or this, this is the group the group of people that you actually fit in very nicely if you don't even give them a chance mm-hmm. some perception second or third second or third third-hand perception of what something could be but until you figure it out i think in that i mean if we were if only people who had um absolute knowledge did podcasts and i i would probably be out of the job pretty swiftly i actually appreciate that you uh disagreed with me and actually no firstly i appreciate that you listen to my podcast um that <laughs> that's, that's a big win um the but for you to disagree I completely understand what you're saying. Indeed, I had this myself. Um, you know, I used to tell people I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I spent one day in a magic circle firm. And I was like, I don't want to do this at all. This seems boring. Um, and just like loads of reading and highlighting and not much mentally engaging work until you're more senior. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Um but I, I would what I what I perhaps wanted to get across then I would probably slightly adjust my argument is that it's not that you shouldn't apply for things that you're not necessarily interested in but I think it's very hard to convey a fake sense of interest in something if you if you as in in an interview right if you're trying to convince someone to give you an internship you have to show that you are interested in that thing and I guess and some people can do it well, but it's not really within my character to try and misrepresent my interests or skills in order to get a role. Um, some people do that and it works out fine for them. But as you said, some people get two, three weeks in, maybe nine months in, and they're like, actually, this is pretty bad. Um, so you're absolutely right, Kirill. You cannot be certain about uh, what types of careers you may be interested in, but um, I think you have to be able to express interest in order to get into the career in the first place. I don't, I don't know if you disagree or not. Oh, no, I think, I think that's a given. And you have to realize, and you have to realize, especially with how competitive all application processes are, there is, that, that's a given. You have to, like, throughout the last few years, I, I found myself in a somewhat of a unique position because I have very clear memory of going through the, going through the steps when I was at university. And also, I've in the last two three years, I've been on the other side of the table, being the interviewer as well. So I, I kind of know how it is both ways, and I know and I know how much pressure it is to to go through the steps, and I know the kind of university pressure to go for the highest to, to go for the, for a certain kind of jobs, and I and I get that. But maybe just the way I have been seeing things for myself, I. For me, when it comes to technicals and when it comes to some interest in the industry, it was very much check the box exercise. Like I'll, I would never go or like this, write emails. Oh, we need to get this inter- We need to get this person as an intern on our team because they're so good technically. It was always like a yes or no. It's it's there is a minimum threshold you need to pass, and beyond that, I. I'm not that interested. What, what for me has always been the case is that I know that it, I can teach that. 
everything you need to know this could be taught. like we are talking about some incredibly smart people who who are applying for for jobs that frankly they i mean it, it could be very intellectually challenging but mostly it's a school about discipline and it's about uh and about mostly discipline yeah really and i know i could teach you everything you need to know it's more of a matter of do i enjoy this person do I enjoy talking to this person? Do I enjoy like their hobbies? And for me, it's all about your hobbies, what you're interested in. It's always been the big factor in into it. So I want to know the person. I want to know what I can learn from you. The same way that you probably want to know what I can teach you. And it's a very much a two-way process. It's not, um, I'll not be presenting to you all this knowledge that you need to just take and that's it. It's, you're teaching me as much as I'm teaching you. It's, I always thought of it this way. Again, I but take it with a bit, take it with a with a grain of salt because I know that I'm I'm very much a UK educated where people could do all kinds of studies at university and they go to finals. And I know in continental Europe it's different. So um, the one thing that I'll probably guide your listeners is that regardless of who says it and when it's said. Compare it against other people because you'll find you'll find that finance is filled with very opinionated people, and very often these opinions are very different. So, no, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Fascinating that you say that you like to understand what a person is like as a whole, um, and uh, and then that influences your decision. Do you have any memories of people who perhaps gave you something in an interview? which really caught your attention. You're like, wow, okay, that might be something that I'm interested in. I have one positive and one negative example that, that come to my mind. Um, the one positive example was we had, we had a candidate who, who had a very big passion for jewelry. But the issue that she had is that she could not find really a company that provided the different kind of accessories in the way that she wanted them to be. So she started the business herself. And I realized this is very finance related and everything, but rather than talking about the finance part of that, I we literally had the entire interview, her walking me through the, her inspirations for the designs. And this was so much fun. Like you want to know, you want to, you want to be around people that are passionate about what they think. You want to be people that are, that have so many interesting stories about how some, about the different inspirations for the design, whether they come from Northern Africa, from Central Africa, whether it could be something from, whether it could be something from the Middle East and you learn through the history of that. And I think this was, this was so fascinating. I was supposed to, it's weird because I was supposed to be the technical interviewer that didn't ask a technical question. Um, don't tell anyone that. And, um, and yeah, that was, um, that for me was such a pleasant conversation. And fr frankly, like I knew that other, other people test this stuff as well, but I, I know that this, this is a person who, who has the passion, who has the discipline. And with that in mind, I, I know I can, I can make this, I can help this person become like a very, very successful junior finance professional as much as I can with it. So um, I'm, I'm really by no means such an expert in the thing. I, at, at least I'd like to think that. When it, comes to, when it comes to the negative experience, and this is something that resonates with me as well, is that 
you often have people that are you often have people that just don't have the they don't have the practice of going to of going to the interviews and this is why also like even you know, I would like to emphasize why it's more that I think that you should apply for as many jobs as you can get because even getting into the stress mode of going to the interviews being pushed and being pressured on various points of your lifetime could be could be a great learning experience and you just have people who are so nervous because they got that they got an opportunity to stick to their dream fund but they don't really have the they don't really have the practice of how to present themselves how to think about that and very naturally when you don't have any of that you're very very nervous and it became a matter of some people with that have on paper exceptional profiles i have no doubt that these are people that are very very able to do to do what a summary summer analyst or even like a first analyst do but at the end they couldn't convey themselves and they couldn't present who they are as a person and this just felt like a missed opportunity and i guess this is why i think like guide i would guide people to talk about their passions because it feels like kind of a safe zone doesn't it I imagine if we start a discussion about uh, about cricket, this could probably take a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a few a few hours, probably some intermissions in between. It'd be a range of emotions. Indeed, the passions are something that people can speak freely about. Kiroi, it is fascinating what you say there. So you had someone who spoke about something that she did, um, and I guess actually she, she's demonstrating a lot of very interesting characteristics there isn't she she's done uh, you know ingenuity discipline you know starting your own company is very very difficult creativity so even in that conversation she's illustrating to you a lot of soft skills that you think you can then um, help guide her towards uh, the technical aspects I think one of the tragedies I've seen particularly I, I come from a physics background and in uh, in STEM universities is people are very intelligent yet struggle to convey themselves and their ideas in ways that allow other people um to understand them and it it's not that they're incapable it's that they just can't express that they are you know i think there's a distinction to be made there um uh, and i think there's actually a lot of work being done in universities now to help people i luckily you know have been doing interviews since i was kind of age 12 or 13 i went to boarding school on a scholarship i remember very early on you know, being 12 and sitting down with very senior people and just really having a conversation. So to me, that's not an aspect that makes me nervous. But some of my friends definitely, having not had those early experiences, um, often do feel nervous. Um, but uh, uh, there are techniques and methods out there to help you get better at it. But there's no substitute for practice, as you said, Kirill. And uh, I, I guess people should seek that. And I just wanted to make one disclosure as like, even with sufficient, even with sufficient practice, there is like things could always go profoundly wrong, and you just have to accept that. One one thing that I could think about is um, when I was at university, I was involved. I was very heavily involved with societies, and um, I was uh, I was president of one of the societies, and just because I have such a knack for speaking, it, people are getting a bit annoyed because at every society meeting, I started a bit of a speech. But even like after having like tens of tens of uh, occasion of various occasions with public speaking, I remember one time I was speaking to the um I was speaking to the summer analysts at uh, at my old firm and the summer of twenty twenty nineteen just before the pandemic, 
and you had this mass you had this group of people some of them i knew some of them i didn't and i just went punk like that and i was like oh my god but what you realize is that with so many iterations even if something goes horribly wrong it's it's okay because you'll get to do it another time and i guess i again have i've been president of societies at university and people indeed are probably getting tired of my voice as well not only on the podcast but just you know when you're leading a, a meeting or whatever and it's good to have someone like you on who will interrupt my uh, my kind of digressions it's good it's very good what I, what I did want to talk about actually was um, a word that the older I get the more and more I think about which is luck you mentioned luck um, in in your career in your life what is what is it that you consider yourself to have been l- lucky in um in terms of i guess now you're in a career which you really enjoy private equity does it you know even perhaps more so than a traditional asset manager allow you to influence the direction in which a company is going as you can become a majority stakeholder whatever it happens to be um but in terms of your journey along the way what as you get older are you are you kind of becoming more aware of the luck that you've had Oh, absolutely. There is there is no denying that. And I think looking back at looking back at even like the last the last few the last few months, the whole even the whole story how I became aware of this opportunity was through a lucky bump into a lucky conversation that I that I spoke with. I spoke with a friend of mine who is in recruitment at the right place at the right time. So it's a, and or how I got my previous job as well. You have to thinking about it, maybe not first order or second order. Like it's such luck had a major part in everything that was everything that really happened to me. What school I went to, what went what high school I went to prior to that, and it's uh, in what environment I grew up with, who are my friends. Um, it thinking about it could it could get kind of scary. And um, and with yeah, it, it is how it is. The one thing that I'd like to think is that to some extent you could have some control over your luck um, for a very limited area, though. Like if you go, if you apply for 30, 40 opportunities, and you get if you if you have put the efforts and you get certain amount of interviews, and if you just apply to one or two. You really, you're really hoping that your luck would come true for you, because it, because it could be just the case that the person that you met could be everything could be perfect. You're perfect for the role, all the right experience, all the right languages, um, you know the right people, you you network with everyone, they love you, but you just meet one person who who doesn't like you and you, who, with whom you don't really get along, and that that's like that opportunity is gone. You have people. People just need to realize how, with the amount of people that are interviewing for jobs, and I think that for each jobs in, especially at junior, junior roles at banks, we're looking at maybe hundreds of people for one spot. Mm-hmm. The the margins are so incredibly narrow that everything just needs to fall into place. When you're talking about how profound it can seem. Um to even consider the luck that you've had or the journey you've had 
Um, I, I often think about, and this is not really to do with finance, so if people want to switch off, they can. But the improbability of us existing as we do and enjoying life as we do, or maybe you don't enjoy it, you just experience it, whatever it may happen to be, it can often be um, a very interesting thought to consider. And I, and I do often consider it when it seems like my day isn't going very well. I sometimes just reflect that it's it's even a privilege to experience a rubbish day, you know, Um but I'm really glad that you're the one that went there because <laughs> I this is one of my very first experience talking on a podcast. So I didn't want to go on this in this loophole right away. <laughs> this is a very free podcast, Carol. Um, I like I said, my, my brain is uh, an eclectic thing, so it, 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 it occupies many different spaces. But this is one thing that I, I do think I have come to find is that the the improbability of existing can make life uh you can always view life i think you can shift your framework and then view it as a privilege to be doing whatever it is you're doing um particularly when i'm doing difficult things and i can feel a bit overwhelmed at times i'm like well you know it's better than doing nothing or not existing but you know it's slightly esoteric what i'm saying i apologize for any of my listeners who are only- I, I i agree somewhat with that i also would like to maybe just make this slight annotation that at some point, you might want to think about putting everything into perspective. Mm-hmm. If what you're doing now is worth it, and I know that we have we have we in this generation where people are switching jobs very very often, and it's just how things are. In comparison, the first time my mom switched her job was after working at one place for thirty eight years, so it's a completely different. Completely, completely different universe. And you just have to ask yourself with everything that's going on, with the knowledge that you have, is that are you are you really happy? And bear in mind, no job will make you 100 percent happy all the time. Because even you being out of your comfort zone and you you being pushed and developing yourself, sometimes it's hard and it's really, really over could be even overbearing. And you it comes about, it's more about self-assessment and evaluation at random points in time. Okay, it, is that right for me? And you take it from there. But, um, I wouldn't say that you have to be grateful for everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely not. I'd say that's far too optimistic or, or maybe just I'm not that positive as a person. But the way I would probably frame it is that you, you have to put everything into perspective. and. The one thing that I'm a big advocate, a big advocate of is uh, questioning yourself and where you stand. For sure, I was I I completely agree with what you're saying, and it wasn't to to necessarily say that if you're in a bad situation you should remain there. It's more to perhaps accept that it's bad and then uh, instigate a change for yourself, whatever it happens to be. Right, like you said, although luck does play a factor, what we spend the majority of our lives doing is having autonomy over what we we'd like to do so i guess by accepting whatever you're going through currently you then realize that actually the only way to change it is to actualize that yourself whatever it happens to be and um when you talk about assessing what you're doing in life and whether it's what you want to be doing i completely agree i think the only thing that i've realized is that of a couple of things that I, I think that challenge and struggle is a necessary part of life. It's just ingrained to it. But I think you have to find the challenges and the struggles which you find meaningful. Um, and so th- that, I guess, is 
kind of like what you're saying, which is to to achieve things, you have to do difficult things, but it's just make sure you're doing something that you actually want to achieve or that it gives you happiness whilst you're doing it or perhaps when you when you actualize your goal. I've realized that I've actually asked you very little about private equity um, <laughs> and I'm more, you're giving me more uh, about life's philosophies and perhaps about finance and I'll probably get fired soon after this podcast, but I'm enjoying myself, so I don't mind. Um, That's all that matters really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, indeed. Uh, I wanted to then, my next question is going to be around, you mentioned actually mentors and, and you said you were lucky with your mentors. What is it that they uh, taught you, ingrained in you, that perhaps you could pass on to our listeners that you carry with you uh, as you move on through life? That's that's a good, very, very good question. Um, uh, the way that I the way that I would put it is these are people that have just maybe some context to my close mentors there. Then now and this one is like head of a team. Another one was a very, very good director and probably what no longer in banking for several, one of the main reasons why I switched from the first bank I worked at to the second one. And those are people that have a point of view, especially when you're dealing, when you're very, very green and and in the nascent stages of your career. And you don't really know what's going on. I'll put it this way. And you may you may try to understand the rationale of something or how this fits into the bigger picture. But even something that I'm saying myself is that when I'm discussing with when I'm discussing with seniors at my current job is they they're not they're they're like this library of knowledge that what they know is a factor factor of what I do. And it's some incredible experience, incredibly successful people. And it it just that presenting you with a point of view of things that they you haven't really even thought about. Or could be could be anything from how do we think about the communication in the team, or how do you think about your approaching certain steps to all the way, all the way to stuff like how do you balance your personal relationship with your career? Which in the life of a in the life of a junior person in finance is incredibly hard. All this, everything like that. I always, I always felt complete. I always felt very open, and I'm probably a bit of an oversharer when it comes to things that in my life and people in people in the teams that are, that have been at and other teams, they they probably know far too much about me and my life than they would like to know. But it's always been it's always been the case that I've been very lucky in the feedback that I've received. And I don't know if I instigated this luck that I could not help because um, yeah, it just beyond me. But probably the one thing that I would say is that working with mentors, these are always people that the relationship goes both ways, very similarly to the way you work in you work in a team. Because at the same time, they give you they give you their perspective. You owe them, you owe them in a bit yours, because you might have a different point of view that, that they might have. And one of my most clear, one of my clearest memories was when I was I was still an intern at the first bank I started at post university because I initially started as an off-cycle intern, and we were discussing with an MD how to 
it was it was completely tangential to work. It was not completely work related. And I brought up and I suggest and I suggested, well, why don't you discuss it with this person? Because lucky enough, I I know that this person to some random circles is looking at something similar, and he was like, yeah, that could work. So what what ended up happening? And I'm sorry if it's not very clear. I'm trying to. I'm trying to make the bridge between between what I'm comfortable sharing in everyone with a podcast and what actually happened is that the one takeaway is that you could be you could be very, very helpful to your mentors as well. Don't think of it as a one-way relationship because it's not. They're not there just to give you to give you helpful guide. They're not just there to give you like helpful information to help you progress your career. It's think of it very much as think of it very much as as your friend and someone like with whom you could go to counseling, but at the same time you also could be very very beneficial to them. And if it's it it's win win really for everyone. And probably I would say this is the one the way I've, I've always been thinking about mental. For sure, I I definitely have had um, many mentors in my quite short life. I, uh, I, I well, it seems like actually I see, uh, well, that sounds quite arrogant, actually. I shouldn't say that. I was going to say I see a bit of myself in you, but considering I'm younger, I should probably be the other way around. But what I wanted to say was when you talk about being an oversharer, I'm definitely an oversharer. Uh, you probably listen to my podcast uh, and you're like, yeah, this guy talks too much. But actually what I, I wanted to say is I've had quite a few mentors and sometimes the realisation of, um, what you have given them it comes later with in terms of what um, kind of they have given to you. And I've not really, I've not actually thought about it like that. I couldn't perhaps tell you right now what it is that I've exchanged and given to my mentors, but perhaps with some reflection, I could uh, think about it. Whenever I think about kind of mentors and mentees, my mind always goes back to a TV show that I watched when I was younger called Scrubs. Um, and I always think about uh, there was a character called JD and there was Dr. Cox and they had a very interesting relationship and it actually it highlighted a lot of what you talk about um, you know the optimism of the young man perhaps can reinvigorate the older more jaded doctor but then there's a lot of there's a lot of realism that Dr. Cox gives to him and it's a very if you've not seen it I would recommend it it's a, a very good show uh, and one that I enjoyed again digressing we're coming a touch towards the end, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Is there anything about, you know, I recently have someone on for private equity. So my listeners have, you know, if they listen to the previous podcast, they will have got a, a gist about what it is that you do in private equity. But is there anything you, you think people have misconceptions or something that you really want to highlight about private equity or just something interesting about what you do, perhaps to, to give people a flavor of, of, your, of your work? I think what is most relevant to say here is putting really into perspective how large the universe is, because at the moment you have the global private capital industry sitting on something like 2.5 trillion of dry powder. Dry powder means that they could deploy the capital. And putting this into perspective, when you put that leverage on top, uh, leverage is basically for the equity that you put in, how much debt you could also raise. And this really allows you to raise more funds to invest versus what you have but with some leverage you you turn this 2.5 trillion into easily into gdp that is 
come to the third, third largest economy in the world, only bar the US and China. And you really have to think about how massive this, this universe is. And there is so much for people to unravel. And this is why I'm probably a bit grateful that we didn't go into the discussion of private equity and the intricacy of private equity because my, I would say my experience has only been within one vertical of the space. And if you think about the different, the different investments within, within equity, within credit, within infrastructure, uh, within mezzanine, which is kind of somewhere in between, uh, then you look at secondary private equity and it could go, it, it could go in very, very complicated. And odds are that I don't think there are many people who can talk in a very, in a, in a very professional manner about all of them. So it, I'll definitely say, I'd probably repeat myself not too much, but have a, for people to, for people to, who are thinking about a career in the space is like, have a, <clears throat> have a good thought about what is it that you would like to experience and what is it that you're interested in and, and take it from there because it's, uh, it's practically an unlimited universe and um, it's, it's out there. So you bet, I think there's a bit of a, a, a bit of something for everyone. Definitely. Well, look, I, I completely read your mind at the start, which is why I spoke about all sorts of nonsense and not about private equity. It's uh, the trick to being a, a great podcast host um, is, you know, knowing what your guest wants. Uh, look, Kirill, I, I have really, really enjoyed our discussion, I must say, potentially because it's been quite refreshing to talk about just some other things. Um, and I hope I, I haven't bored you, at least with some of the, the more abstract thoughts that we approached. Um, in terms of some final words, perhaps, that you'd have for, our, for the young listeners out there, you've already given loads of advice. But if there's, again, you, you wanted to highlight one key takeaway um, that, for them. I'll probably, have, I'll probably have two. The first one is just get out there. and figure it out because like you really even with the regardless of how many mentors you have you they're not you they don't know you as good as you know yourself they your friends and family they don't know they don't know what kind of company they don't know what the teams are like they don't know what you really enjoy and you can figure it out it, your career is for you to build and i'll not be i'll not be here telling you go this way because it's it's good for everyone because it's not there's far too many people that that come and go and really the one the one person that you owe anything is yourself um the other advice i i could give is for people i know it's very difficult to say but try to be patient when it comes when it comes to thinking how when it comes to framing your career and how you think about that i know it could be very difficult and I know you want to get it out of the way early and then enjoy the rest of your university life and then everything that follows but try to be patient don't rush it because for me the biggest revelation that came post post graduation is how many people come into these high flying jobs and they realize that have been they haven't had a break in six or seven years by the time they're 22 or 23 and they're just starting they're just starting their professional life right and burnout is burnout, especially at such young stage of your career, is very real, and it's, it hits. It, I don't know if we're properly equipped to deal with that. Um, 
uh, the advice I could give is try try to frame how long your career life is and try to enjoy your 20s as much as possible because really I'm a master of cliches but you only get them once so it's it's some, definitely something to bear in mind try to put try to put your physical and mental health in perspective find a person to talk to about those things and whether this is a friend if you don't want to friend, a parent could be a good guide as well even a colleague you feel comfortable with and honestly frankly if you don't feel like there's anyone in your network that you could frankly talk about the challenges that you're having with uh with expectations with mental health and if there is no one in your network just feel free to like send me a message on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to chat it. So I think it's something very real and it's definitely something that people should be aware of. Fantastic. Kirill, thank you for your actually very kind words, very refreshing words. Um, I Again, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and uh, I will definitely be taking your advice on board myself. So thank you very much. <laughs>